Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Daniela, welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. Thank you for having me. So I am excited to have you on to talk about your journey in business and in life, really. You have such a great story to share. But before we get started, I'd love for you to tell everyone who you are and what you do. Awesome. So I'm Daniela Genus. I am a business growth strategist and the founder of She's the Boss International. I support ambitious entrepreneurs to build and grow profitable, sustainable, systems-driven businesses that are not owner-reliant. I provide coaching, mentoring, training, and accountability programs, primarily for business owners who run service-based businesses. I am a multi-award winning entrepreneur. So She's the Boss is my third business and I'm currently in the process of setting up my fourth. And yeah, that's me. Yes. So you have a very impressive resume, but it didn't start out that way. (laughs) No, no, no. So let's talk about your story. So you were raised in an inner city community and you describe yourself as having a deprived upbringing and you had to get creative as a young teenager to start generating money, bringing in money. I'd love for you to share more about this experience. What do you mean by deprived? What kind of things were you doing as a teenager to bring in income and how this became the beginning of your journey as an entrepreneur? I was raised in a two-parent home. And I'd like to say that first, because I think sometimes there's an assumption that if you were raised in a a city area, that you're from a single parent family. But my parents were actually together until I was 15. However, prior to my teenage years, both of my parents were kind of out of work at different periods of time, struggling, I'd say, on benefits. So I I distinctly remember as a, a young girl being aware of the fact that we didn't have much money. So for a long time, we didn't have a car. We didn't have a phone at home. And it was kind of a struggle. And I think both of my parents, probably before the age of 10, me being 10, both of my parents decided they wanted to make a change and went to university as mature students. And during that period of time as well, it was quite tough because obviously they were studying. So they weren't, again, making lots of money. So I want to be clear, I didn't have to go out and make money. We were fed, we were clothed, etc. But I think for me, I wanted to make money because I felt as though, yeah, I could help number one, but also because all my friends had pocket money and that kind of stuff. And I wanted some. Um, So I decided (laughs) to work out how I was going to do it myself. And I suppose when I look back, I kind of think, well, I was demonstrating my kind of entrepreneurial traits from an early age because I was always trying to work out a way to make the the next pound. So one of the things that I, I did is I learned to braid hair and became quite good at it. And much to my teacher's annoyance, I used to to charge my friends to braid their hair in the back of the classroom. And I remember getting kicked out of the math class once because the teacher was like, look, you can't just be in here braiding hair. And I'm like, yeah, but she's paid me. Like Running a business. Yeah, it's business. <laughs> what do you mean? So little stuff like that, charging people to wash their cars, charging my mom's friends to babysit their kids. So there was always just something. There was some way that I was trying to make money. And also... In my kind of mid-teenage years, I realized I quite liked organizing events. So I organized my mom's 30th birthday party. I remember doing that. And one of the kind of first positions in terms of work 
that I did was for an organization that did mentoring programs for young people. And I joined that organization and then started doing events for them and really enjoyed it. This is when I was like 16 years old. Mm -hmm. So I suppose one of my earliest memories of of thinking, okay, I, I really want to do business related stuff was whilst working with this company and feeling like I really enjoyed doing all of these different exciting things. And for me in my head, probably from around that same age, I decided, okay, I want to be like Oprah Winfrey. My mom used to watch Oprah all the time. And I'm like, right, I want to be a mogul. Like that's what, when I'm older, that's what I want people to say that I am a mogul. My parents, because they'd been to university and, and I suppose university and getting their degrees had enabled them to kind of change our financial situation by the time I was about 14, 15. They really wanted me to go to university. I didn't want to go and was really wanting to go to perform an arts school so that I could become this kind of media arts. And actually at one point I was a singer and a rapper at the same time, which (laughs) sounds really strange. Lil' Kim was my idol at one point. Um, But I didn't really want to go, but somehow, I don't really remember how they convinced me to go. And I went to university on a full scholarship and therefore my kind of fees and my living arrangements was all paid for. So that was exciting. I, I moved to a new city. And whilst at university, I started organizing events again. And I, and I said, when I'm, again, looking back at it, I've always just been somebody that's quite busy. My grandfather used to call me the busy bee. And as long as I can remember, that's what I've been. So whether it was at school, college or university, I was just always into something. But really the real startings or the real launch of my entrepreneurial career was whilst at university and mm-hmm. organizing those events. And that is what subsequently led to me starting my first business. Wow. And just listening to your story, I can tell like if we were not having this podcast, I would already know that you had your entrepreneurial streak because you you have this itch in you since you were a teenager to go out and work and bring money in. And like you said, you didn't have to do it, right? As kids, mm-hmm. our jobs are to be fed <laughs> and clothed and kept comfortable. And most mm-hmm. teenagers are just thinking about how to have fun, you know, live their best lives, go shopping typical teenagers. And so it's always impressive when I see a young person who is thinking, how can I help my parents? How can I earn money? How can I become a mogul? That's very interesting to see. So I'd love to fast forward. So you graduate college, you are doing events business, you're kind of getting into this space where you, you're a mini mogul in the making. (laughs) And (laughs) you started a business with your friends, which you ended up running alone. And then you were forced to sell it after you got sued for about $42,000, 30,000 pounds. I'd love for you to share, how did this business start? What happened? Where did it break down? And what did you learn from it? Because a lot of people who are starting businesses, many people listen to this podcast, many people go into business with friends or family as a way to minimize risk, as a way to pull together money, as a way to divide and conquer the amount of work that is required to get your business on its feet. And you went in to business with your friends. And so I'd love for you to try to share your experience and just your learnings around what happened. So many lessons were learned. The list is endless, but I'll try and think of the top ones. I launched an event management and youth training business with my friends. It was a not-for-profit. In the UK, we call it a community interest company. So I went into business with three friends. And one of them in particular was a, like one of my best friends at the time. We lived together. But I think there's really something to be said about kind of crossing those boundaries. So moving friendship into business without having clear boundaries and crossing the boundary of kind of social and business. And whilst initially it seemed like a good idea, we're like, right, there's four girls. We all want to do business. Me and one of the others wanted to do events. The other two kind of just wanted to do a business and we just jumped into business. What we didn't do is, as I said, we didn't set boundaries, number one, but we also didn't have clarity on what we all were striving to achieve with the business. So it was just like, okay, we're going to do business. This is the business. Let's do it. As opposed to, okay, this is the kind of vision I have for the business. This is what I want to contribute. This is how much time I'm going to be able to contribute. And this is how much time I expect you to contribute. We kind of just ran with it and it led to a number of problems because 
some of us were doing more than others. The ones that weren't doing as much, they couldn't understand why they shouldn't get paid the same. Whereas those of us, including myself, who were doing more, <laughs> who were doing more, we were like, well, if we're doing 80% of the work, why are you getting 50% of the, the revenues? That doesn't make any sense. We kind of had different ways of working. So I suppose two of us were, and I suppose are kind of more calm, relaxed easygoing whereas the other two are a little bit more highly strung and therefore having arguments and proper full-blown arguments Mm. in the middle of business meetings was fine for them but it wasn't fine for me and for my other friend at the time so there was just not any boundaries in place and quite quickly it started to fall down so one of my friends left because she didn't like the way that the other one was talking to her and then the other one left for similar reasons but then she also had some personal issues and then the final one left after me and her got into a huge blazing argument via email as you do and um <laughs> it kind of got, came to an impasse like look clearly we can't work together so it's either you take the business or I take the business and in my opinion she knew that I was the better fit <laughs> so she walked away and I kept the business and in terms of the biggest lesson learned for me, it was, again, if you're going into business with friends, don't go into business with friends just because you all have a similar idea or you all want to go into business. Go into business with friends because your friends possess the skills, the experience, the knowledge, the expertise that you lack, because that's what's going to build a strong team as opposed to we all think we want to do this. That's irrelevant. Kind of the desire is not really the point. The point is, do you complement each other and will you be able to work well? And we obviously did not. And then I went it alone. And in a very short period of time, I was able to grow the business to six figures. I had eight members of staff. We moved from our initial office to a bigger office. We were getting sponsorship for the events that we were doing from the likes of HMV, Sony, BMG, Subway. And we're doing really well. I started winning lots of awards, which was exciting, featured in the press and was pretty much living my best life, as they say, until I hired this woman and she just turned into a bit of a nightmare. And she did a a variety of different annoying and irritating things. And the kind of nail in the coffin was one of my staff members. She screamed at her in the office. She was reduced to tears. I wasn't there. She told me afterwards. So then when I confronted her about it, she screamed at me. (laughs) In addition to that, she lost a load of merchandise, like £600 worth of merchandise at the end of one of our events. And to this day, we still don't know where that merchandise went. So I fired her. But... Apparently, and it, and this is why I just feel like it's so important to have mentors and coaches in your corner, because I engaged a HR, human resources company, to support me with the process of firing her, and they gave me the wrong information. Mm. So I fired her, but the way in which I fired her wasn't apparently the best way, even though I'd paid for some HR support to ensure that I did it the right way. They had misinformed me. So this lady took umbrage with the fact that she was fired and therefore decided to take me to an employment tribunal for £29,999. I went back to the HR company and said, look, she's trying to sue me. Obviously, I've paid you guys help. And they said, well, you didn't pay for the insurance, so sorry, we can't help you. And I'm like, what insurance? You didn't tell me that I needed to take insurance. I've never heard of anything about this insurance until now. And they refused to help me. I went to a HR event, saw this insurance company with there, spoke to them. They said they'd represent me, which was great. But after they looked at the facts, they said there's a 50-50 chance that she would win. And in order for them to kind of take it to, I suppose, to the court or whatever, it needs to be over 50% in my favor. So Mm -hmm. they said we needed to settle. I didn't have £30,000. So it was a six-figure business. However, a lot of that six figures was funded. It wasn't commercial revenue. So I didn't Mm -hmm. have that, even if I wanted to settle, I couldn't at that point. And she went from from like this £30,000 figure all the way down to saying she'd accept, I think it was three grand, (laughs) which just shows how ludicrous the request was in the first place. The claim rate. Yeah, like how have we gone from 30 to three? So they agreed, which I thought was really nice. They agreed to pay half and they said we should pay the other half. So they paid the half, the 1500, and then I was due to pay the other 1500. In terms of the lessons that I learned there, number one is to always seek legal counsel. So it, it was fine to have a HR team, but actually had I had a legal representative they would have been able to inform me properly. But also, again, follow your gut. I think sometimes, and particularly because I was young at that point, so I think I was, what, 27, 28, 
28. I didn't necessarily believe that I knew what was best. I was very much about making sure that I, I didn't just hire people because I liked them. So I worked with two external people to help me with that recruitment process. And when they said this lady, I was like, well, she's in her 50s. I'm in my 20s. Is this going to work? Is she going to be able to cope with me being her manager because she's like so much older than me? But I put those feelings aside, even though niggling deep inside, I was thinking, I don't think this is going to work. And even while she was in employment and I was kind of like, maybe I should fire her. I don't think this is working. I didn't do it. And I kind of left it and left it. Had I fired her one week earlier, she wouldn't have been able to sue me for that money because you have to be in employment for a year. And when I fired, it was like a, a, a year and six days or something ridiculous. So, yeah, I think the biggest lesson there was to follow your gut. If something doesn't feel right, listen to it and don't ignore it because more often than not, you're correct. But yeah, I'd say that was probably the lowest point. I remember at that that time, I remember being in my car and speaking to the legal team and like when he said we had to settle. And I tell this story a lot because it was such a profound point in my life. And I remember being so enraged that I was punching the steering wheel because I'm just like, I can't imagine that I've done, I've, I've worked so hard to build up this business. And the business, it wasn't just event management. It was also also youth training. So we were working with disadvantaged young people and changing lives. Like there's young people to this day that get in touch and say, like, because of the programs that you did, I'm now doing X, Y, and Z. There's young people that went to university that set up businesses. So I remember just being so frustrated by the fact that this woman was trying to end all of that. We weren't just a commercial business. And I just thought it was so cruel. And I remember at one point my hair started to fall out. It was a lot of pressure, but we didn't sell the business then. I didn't sell the business for another couple of years. So that lady's replacement, she came in and we explained the whole situation to her and really did rigorous recruitment. And that lady stole my IP and quit and ran off with it. So, (laughs) yeah, so that was also a very trying time, very difficult And what started to happen is, as I said before, we were quite reliant on funding. So we were heavily funded and I didn't want to be heavily funded. So in the UK, we have the government as well as there's different charitable trusts. um, There's the National Lottery and they give out money, grants. Grants, okay. Yeah, for projects, for businesses, etc. And I was very good at writing the funding applications. So we were able to get a lot of grant funding to help with running projects and delivering the training for the young people mm-hmm. because I, I, I call myself at that time the magic pen because every <laughs> every application that we put in literally like we did eight back to back over a period of maybe two years and every single one we got wow. and we started with 5,000 the highest one we actually got was 159,000 and then we had different ones in between so one was 43 one was 30 and one was 10 but I decided actually this is not making any sense. We need to focus on the event side and the commercial events, etc. So I stopped applying. But what that meant was because I didn't really have a proper strategy for the commercial side and also because we'd become very well known for the youth side, it was very difficult for us to get the commercial and corporate companies to pay us to do the events because they would say, oh, you're a charity. We're not a charity, actually. We're a business. We were registered as a business. But because our reputation was so strong with the youth stuff I just don't think people took us seriously so in addition to that I hated sales at that point and I used to say I I wasn't very good at sales but since being in the new business I realized that's not true but it was really difficult for me to generate sales and therefore we went from eight members of staff and within a year went down to me and one other member of staff and it was at that point that I decided that I was going to close the business initially I was pregnant with my daughter. My mum was in another city and was really very ill at the time. And I went down an investment process. So I was going to get investment to help bring in a business development manager and an operations manager. And the day that I was due to sign off on the paperwork for this investment, the investor said, come back in six months when you've achieved a specific sales figure. Now, I knew that within that time, I was going to have my daughter I didn't want to be working because I would have a newborn baby. And also I was up and down the motorway and the one member of staff that was remaining, she wasn't great at sales either. So I was actually going to close the business, but there was a a gentleman that used to kind of come around and visit. And he said, look, I was looking for a business to buy similar to this with a good track record of funding. Can I buy it? 
So I said, oh, okay, fine. Like, I'll sell it then. And that's what I did. So my daughter was born July. I sold the business in August. And then I started my MBA in September. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a busy, a busy quarter. <laughs> so there's, there's so many gems, so many takeaways from <laughs> everything you just went over regarding, you know, your business with your friends, regarding hiring, regarding legal issues, regarding trying to make that transition after you started running the business alone and just so many things that I, I kind of wanted to touch on. And I think a lot of people, when they start a business with friends, they don't think about, for the most part, especially if it's a really good friend and you're both excited about the idea, you're not thinking about, oh, well, our personalities really mesh. Do our skill sets complement each other? What if we get into a, a disagreement? What if we get angry? Whose job is it to do? What many people don't think about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, the desire is not enough. It's not enough to want to start the business. <laughs> Who's going to be here at 12 midnight when I'm here at 12 midnight? Are you guys all going to be in your beds when I'm working there? And then there becomes the the guilt and then the resentment. People don't think about all this stuff. They expect that I'm going to start a business with my friend and it's going to be great. And that's how you should think about it. But there's a lot of things to weigh. And those are all of the lessons that you explained with your experience, right? And then the other side of a, a business is hiring. And hiring, I think, is one of the most difficult parts of running a business, I faced this challenge, not just hiring, but also firing, because if you hire the wrong person, it can cost you so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wasted time, money, so many things. And then add on a legal issue like you had with a disgruntled employee, and that just becomes even more complicated. But just based on what you said, obviously you're still in business. You continued entrepreneurship, which means that you definitely took the lessons that you learned and you're applying them. But it's just something for, for anyone listening to think about when you're starting a business, you want to go in objectively, especially when you're starting it with friends, mm-hmm. especially as you start to grow and you start to expand and you have to hire, like hire slow, fire fast. There's a saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I personally have also had to learn that the hard way. There have been times when in my business that I've needed to hire and I've been so desperate that I hired fast and it just did not work out. Like as soon as the dotted line was signed, I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) this is not going to (laughs) work. And then instead of firing fast, like you, I was like, Oh, let me just, let me just see. Let me just see. And the thing is, we know, like we, <laughs> we know, know immediately this is not going to work out. Yet we we kind of beat around the bush and don't just get on with we doing the firing. Absolutely no. And, you know, the other thing you talk about getting a legal counsel, even though the experience was not great, I definitely think that having that legal counsel helped to minimize the hurt and the stress, even though it was mm-hmm. frustrating. And outside of employment issues, hiring issues, having a lawyer is so critical just from a reviewing contracts, from making sure that your entity is set up correctly. There have been times where I have read a contract and I've been like, wait a minute. Like sometimes I will skim through it and then I'll sh- share it with my lawyer and she'll be like, oh, do you know what this actually means? <laughs> <laughs> this means you're indebted mm-hmm. <laughs> to this thing for the rest of your life. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> you know, the cost that some people are like, oh, that's going to be too expensive to hire a lawyer. The money you think you're saving could be even more expensive down the line when you have that situation. So, so many gems. And then also you talk about intellectual property. So trademarking. (laughs) Oh gosh. So important. Trademarking. So so missed by so many. So, and you know, for me, I'm fortunate that one of my really close friends happens to be my legal counsel and she like wouldn't stop talking to me about before I had even built anything substantial. (laughs) Before I had even started making money, she's like, you need to get the trademark in place. You need to have these trademarks. You need to have your IP. That thing that you don't even think you're going to use right now, you need to have those trademarks in place. And those trademarking costs money. But in instances where people try to tamper with or steal your intellectual property, it can be the savings grace Mm -hmm. that protects you. So important. So, so many gems. Thank you so much, Daniela, for sharing that. So you now sold the business, which is, you know, was a great way to exit, right? You didn't close, you sold it, you got some revenue from it. And I really am impressed at the fact that you are so, so good at writing grants because I've never written a grant, but I've seen an application and I always get intimidated. 
Yeah, they're like, intense. Wow, so much information. What do they want to do with this information? They're right, but very intense. For, for those of you listening who are thinking about starting a business, especially if you're in the nonprofit space, grants can be very helpful to helping you just get your business on its feet, bring revenue in to grow, to pay your staff so that you can continue to offer your services if you're able to dedicate the time to writing the grant. So if you need grant writing help, definitely reach out to Daniela (laughs) to guide you. So you sold the business and then despite everything, all the drama, you went on to start another business after you got your MBA. Yeah, well, I started um, the business whilst while you're okay. So while you're getting your MBA, so how are you feeling? What was the reasoning? Were you not burnt enough? Well, you'd think, right? (laughs) Because by the way, it took me at least. Well, to be honest, I would say I didn't get over the grief of selling the first business probably until about two years ago. So this is like three years later. But yeah, entrepreneurship is the route that I have vowed to take. (laughs) And so the option of going and just getting a job, just, it didn't really cross my mind as much as my husband at one point really was advocating for it. It just wasn't an option. So for me, okay, that business didn't work out, but that doesn't mean any other business isn't going to work out. And whilst being on the MBA, I was learning how to fix the errors and the mistakes that I'd made in the first business that's what I was learning. So it was, it was quite funny because even when I was doing one of the modules on finance and how to evaluate your business or get evaluation for your business. And I was, I remember sitting in the module and saying, well, I wish that I'd done this a year ago because maybe I wouldn't Mm. have just picked a random figure out of the sky to sell the business. (laughs) And so much stuff around kind of operations and again, hiring, recruitment, et cetera, all of those things I covered on the MBA. And one of the things that had happened when I was running the first business, because outwardly, I suppose up to a point inwardly, I was so successful with it. I was getting people coming to me and approaching me and asking me to support them with starting their businesses. So in that kind of interim period where I sold the business, I was doing my MBA, I was kind of trying to work out well, what is the next business? What am I good at? What do people ask me for? And people were still approaching me saying, can you help me with this business? So it kind of seemed like a no brainer that actually business support, because you've got the experience of running your own business, of managing teams, uh, building a team, etc. So why can't you support other people to do the same and to learn from your mistakes? And essentially that's how the business was born. It was so I could be for other me's what I needed when I was running the business and didn't feel that I was able to get because I'd worked with kind of, I'd had mentors, I'd had kind of advisors, but for the most part, they were sat in one of two camps. Either they had the education and not the experience, or they had the experience and not necessarily kind of the theoretical stuff. And I realized I was in quite a unique position because I'd run my own business and sold it, but I also was about to have an MBA And I also had a master's in enterprise that I'd done previously. Mm -hmm. So I then said, okay, well, I'm going to start a business support company. It was initially called Genus Enterprise Consultants. Very indulgent, given that my name is Genus. (laughs) I rebranded in, I can't even remember whether it was 2018 or 2019, but somewhere thereabouts, I rebranded to She's the Boss. But what really gave me the impetus to starting the business was a friend of mine, who's actually my husband's best friend, but we're also friends. He saw me kind of, I had this new baby. I was doing my MBA. Most people would have saw that and thought, well, she's got enough on her plate. Let me leave her alone. He said, no, you are not going to just sit there and study and be a mom. You're more than that. You need to do something. So he challenged me to do 52 books in a year. And I said, I'm not doing that because I'm trying to to do my MBA. And I've, I've got a newborn baby. And he was adamant. So he started buying me the books and bringing them to my house and showing up on a weekend with podcast equipment. So with a big microphone, headphones and everything, he said, look, you're going to read the book and then we're going to do a a podcast and we're going to do a review. And the first time he showed up, I hadn't read the book and he was like, we're going to do it anyway. And you're going to be embarrassed because I told you to read the book. The second time I was like, okay, I'm clearly, I'm going to need to read this book. And the book, the first two books, I believe it was that we read, that really impacted me. One was The Fastlane Millionaire by MJ DeMarco. And the other one was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. 
processes and systems. Yes. And I read those two books and I was like, this is exactly what I needed. This is what I was missing in my business. So from there, and then so, so it all kind of happened at the same time. So I was trying to work out what business, I kind of worked out what business, then I was reading these books, then I kind of was reminded, look, you need to get up and do something. And then I launched the business with the focus primarily on systems and processes. But then also I've developed a model for growth based on kind of some of the work that I was doing with clients in the first year or two that has kind of yielded some significant growth for them. So that's really the story of how She's the Boss came to be. So you kind of fell into a new business opportunity that aligned with your experience and also what you were interested in, what you were passionate about, which is entrepreneurship and also helping mm-hmm. other people do the same, but building a business around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because I used to say that my purpose, that what is your purpose? And my purpose was to help young people. So when I sold that business, I think that was why I I always call it like I was in the wilderness for a period because I couldn't work out, okay, well, that was my purpose. So now what's my purpose? But since doing this business and and achieving Mm. a certain level of success, I realized the purpose wasn't ever the who, it was the what. So I'm still helping people. It's just I'm helping them in a different way and in a different group, not necessarily young people, business owners but it's still about helping people. And I think the purpose is that. So even if I don't continue for whatever reason with this business, I believe that any other business that I get is still going to be centered around helping people. I love that. I love that. So you have certainly had a lot of business experiences, challenges, a lot of lessons learned, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just part of growth. It's part of experience. I think with anybody starting a business, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> and there's certain things that you just have to learn, though sometimes the path to learning them is different from every for everybody. But it's hard to avoid challenges in business. That's just mm-hmm. what it is. However, I would love for you to share the flip side of it and talk about what some of your biggest business successes have been. Oh, that's a good one. So I don't know what month this is going to be released, but May in 2021, May 2021, I'd say has been my biggest success. I was set a specific financial challenge by my coach because I have a coach also. So it was to hit a certain sales figure and I doubled that sales figure in the achievements. So that's been, (laughs) I would say, well, it's the most money I've ever made or the most sales because there's a difference between sales and revenue, right? Um, It's the most sales that I've ever done in one month in my whole entire life. So May has been a big success, I must say. But then if I go back to the beginning, it's not necessarily just business success. It's just something that I'm most proud of. And it's all of the young people that I supported in my Mm -hmm. first business because honestly there was I remember there was a young guy in particular that when he joined our program he was didn't really know what he was doing kind of doing stuff that he wasn't supposed to be doing and by the end of the program he enrolled and went to university and he said that that was as a direct consequence of the work that we did with him and stuff like that no matter how many business owners I support and how much personal success I may kind of achieve I don't think you can put a price on that. I think it's priceless because that's changing the trajectory of a young person's life. And for me, I'm I'm probably most proud of that. Yeah, if I look back at along the journey, that would be the biggest success. But then, yeah, as I said, May, I was calling May Miracle May because <laughs> it felt like a miracle. Because the target that the coach, my coach had given me, I didn't even think I'd be able to hit it. So the fact that I was able to double it has been a pretty big success. <laughs> That's fantastic. So since it's June 1st, all you have to do is go back and review what made May work and make it repeatable <laughs> so that well, we can have yeah. Miracle June and Miracle July Honestly. and Miracle August, <laughs> Miracle September, yeah, Miracle well, 2021. <laughs> the only way is up, as they say. And I did say in 2021, <laughs> I'm not coming to play. We're doing it big this year. And no so games. Far, yeah, so far it's, it's working. <laughs> That's great. And I love that one of your successes is the impact your business you've had on somebody's life. I think sometimes it's not even about the money when you're able to have a positive impact on life and you realize that the work you're doing is beyond you and through you, somebody else's life can be changed. That is so rewarding. It is so humbling. It is so impactful. And it makes everything that you're doing, it makes all the trouble, all the stress that you've gone through to get to that point worthwhile 
because you've been able to help somebody else. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So today you help women build their own successful businesses. What is your number one business tip for women starting businesses, women running businesses? What is the one piece of advice based on everything that you now know <laughs> that you would give? Start with the end in mind. So many of us start at the beginning and focus on the beginning and the the kind of next steps and working forward. And I think what's much more productive and is going to help you grow at a much faster and more sustainable pace is starting with the end in mind. Where are you trying to take the business and then working your way backwards, reverse engineering it. And when I say the end, I don't mean like the end of life or the end of the business, but look at a date in the future. So one of the things that I do with my clients is something called Vision 20. And we pick a point in the future, which is typically three years, and we create a vision for three years time. What we then do is we work our way backwards to determine what did we need to have done between now and then to get to that point. And it's been a hugely successful process in helping, sorry, my clients really accelerate their growth, focus their mind, motivate them, structure what they're doing and achieve success. One of my kind of biggest success stories in terms of my clients, we did our Vision 20 process in 2019. And at that point, she was turning over £15,000 in her business. She's just last month done her annual tax returns or whatever you call it, end of year finances. Mm -hmm. And her turnover is £480,000. That's amazing. And she's predicted by next year to do one point, I think it's 1.2 million or 1.3. I can't remember which one, but seven figures. And not to say that it's only vision 20 that has enabled that to happen, but in really being very clear on what she wanted to achieve and really depicting that vision and, and centering herself in it and focusing, it's, it's meant that she's looked for strategic opportunities that have enabled her to achieve that level of growth. So her vision 2020 was 2019 and we mapped out what she was going to achieve by 2022 and she's achieved most of it by 2021. And I've done this process with so many people who managed to achieve their visions in two years, one year. One of my clients did it essentially in nine months because once you focus on your mind on exactly what you want and be very clear and specific, it's so much easier to be able to take consistent action towards bringing that to life. What we often do and what women often do as well, to be very specific, is we say we want to achieve success, but we just want to be comfortable. And we kind of minimize our potential by just focusing on just getting by, just doing enough, staying within our comfort zone, and also not specifying exactly what we want. Success alone is not a thing. Like just saying, I want to be successful. What does that mean? And I really advocate for being very specific. So when as specific as I am with doing, I've, I've done the vision 20, even for myself, I'm very clear. How much money is my business turning over in three years time? How much profits is the business making? How much am I being paid personally? How much money do I need to make to accommodate the lifestyle that I want to live and really breaking it down? I don't think enough people do that. And once you do that and get a taste even if it is just a a visual taste in your head, (laughs) it's going to really get you motivated for bringing that to life because it's within grasp. And that for me is the starting point. Get yourself excited about the future, but also get specific with it, focus on it and reverse engineer it into action. I could not agree with you more. Everything you're saying is like music to my ears. I am a firm believer that when you set the intention, when you are clear on your vision, mm-hmm. because you know what you are working towards, like you said, work with the end in, in mind. When those opportunities show up, you don't miss them. You yes. see them because you know what you're working towards and you, you just grab the opportunities. You know, sometimes people will say the opportunities do not exist, but I always challenge me when I say, but have you, is it that you didn't see the opportunity? Is it that you missed the opportunity because you weren't prepared to receive that opportunity when it presented itself to you? And I will be the first one to say that I have certainly missed opportunities because I was not prepared. I wasn't thinking about them. I wasn't even looking in the way of the opportunity until it had long passed me by. And so what you said about just getting clear and knowing where you want to be, and you don't have to know all the steps to get there. 
But once you know what you want, when that opportunity appears, that is a step to help you get closer to your goal, you will grab onto it. It won't even get a chance to like take a step away from you because you've pulled it so close. <laughs> mm-hmm. And also there's that, that thing, and I, I don't know if this happens to everybody else, but you decide that there's a car that you like and everywhere you go after that point, you keep seeing that car and you question, was the car always around you? Mm. Or are you seeing the car? Because now the car is in your mind. So I remember I really loved this car, Jaguar XF. And once I'd seen it the first time, everywhere I would go, I would say to my husband, the car is following me because everywhere <laughs> I turn, this car is there. The car was already there. People were already driving this vehicle. But, but because I've decided that it's something that I want, now I'm going to see it. And the same, in my opinion, not everybody believes in this. And if I'm honest, I didn't used to believe in it either. Once you decide that you want something and something is for you, opportunities will come in your way to enable that to happen. And one of the stories I love to tell, me and my husband decided we wanted to buy a house a couple of years ago and we were looking for houses and we were getting disappointed over and over again. So I brought a whiteboard and I drew a floor plan of the house that I wanted and put the floor plan on my kitchen countertop within days Within days, a sales agent from a development that we'd visited that was sold out called and said, a home has come on the market because somebody's mortgage has fallen through. Mm. Are you interested? Now, the house wasn't built yet. They invited us down to the offices to look at the floor plan. And God as my witness, the floor plan was pretty much exactly the same as the floor plan that I draw that was sat at my house on the countertop with an extra bedroom. That house is the house that I'm living in right now. The The extra bedroom is the office that I'm sitting in recording this with you because this room wasn't on the drawing because I didn't think that we'd be able to get a house with this amount of rooms. Turns out we could. Now, is that a coincidence? I don't think it is. I think I set my intentions and the opportunity was placed in front of me. Not even just that. The full name of the business is She's the Boss International. I was intentional with that because I wanted... And I want my business to be an international business. I want clients internationally. This year, I said one of the things, and I make a joke of it. I don't know if anyone or if you, there was something, I can't remember something on Instagram and some lady was saying she was trying to get flued out and everybody laughed at the fact that it was poor English. But I've been making a joke of it the last kind of month or say, or so, saying I really want to get flued out. Somebody needs to pay me. out <laughs> and flew me out. <laughs> yeah, I need, somebody to, I need somebody to pay to fly me to a country to do this work. I enjoy it. Somebody should pay me. And a friend of mine was approached to do a speaking engagement that he's not able to do. He recommended me. And I had a call yesterday with a lady who is trying to fly me out. All expenses paid to go to do some work in Nigeria. By the way, Nigeria being one of the countries on my fly me out list. I have three countries on that list, (laughs) Nigeria, Kenya and Jamaica. And hopefully, fingers crossed, all being when I'm about to be flown out or flew down (laughs) (laughs) to to Nigeria. So I really believe, and before that house thing, I didn't really believe in the power of manifestation. I didn't, I thought it was this hairy fairy thing that these manifestation coaches say, and it doesn't really mean anything. But actually I think what was missing for me was it's not just about visualization. It's also about taking action towards what you want. So describing it, being very specific, but also taking the action to make it happen. And if you do those things, I feel like the opportunities are there and you can create your own blueprint for success and build your own vision. I have a similar experience. So when you said it, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it is not coincidence. You know, like Mm -hmm. manifestation, God, faith, combining all these things together. I'll Mm -hmm. tell you my own story and I'll tell you why it is so similar. I remember years ago, maybe like... 15 years ago, I've always had like a small book, especially when I was working, I'd have like a small notebook. And in the notebook, if I was listening to an audiobook or I was reading a book, I would always write notes in there. I write like my financial goals, just like it was just one of those books that you just write stuff in. And I tend to keep my books. And in this book, one day at work, I remember the day, I don't remember what I was wearing, but I remember doing it. I drew a picture of a house and I just drew this picture of a house and I was like, where would I, I have never seen this house before, <laughs> but I drew it and I forgot all about it. I kept it in that book. I put the book away when the pages ran out and not too long ago, I was cleaning out my books and I opened it up to that page and that house down to the shutters on the windows, down to the 
the way the doors look down to where the chimney is, is the house I live in today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was so surreal. I was like, wait a minute, what the hell? This has to be a coincidence. And I'm like, no, because in my head, I visualized it that day. I wrote mm-hmm. it down. I drew it down. And I wrote like some notes underneath it. And it's just, you have to believe. Mm-hmm. You have to put yourself in your mind's eye, in the mm-hmm. place that you want to be. And then work towards it. So you can put yourself anywhere you want to be, but if you don't work towards it, I mean, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. they, yeah, you know, they say faith, faith without works is dead. Yeah, exactly. so the works has to come to. I would be on a yacht in the Mediterranean right now, but do I want to work to get there? <laughs> so when you put, you have to visualize. I think sometimes visualizing where you want to be can be a challenge for people because it's like, wow, that's so stupid. How would I even get there? I don't even know how to get there. That's just so outlandish. That is so impossible. And I've had those challenges and those blocks myself where I set a ridiculous, stupid goal for myself. And then I laugh like, ha, 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 you got jokes, girl. Because, right? But you have to do it anyway. And you have to imagine that every small step that you take is leading you closer to that visualization, to that dream, to that manifestation mm-hmm. with God, with faith, to get you there. And I'm a firm believer of that. So when you said that I got goosebumps, because I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you're the first person that I've spoken to that can relate. <laughs> no, I, I can definitely re- relate. And there are many instances where I've seen something in my head and I, and it has come to, to pass. Mm-hmm. But it's just, and I won't, I don't want to scare anybody with that kind of stuff because people are like, oh my God, there she goes, that woo-woo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I definitely believe that. See yourself where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And then work towards it. Set the plan. Like you said, begin your work, begin your progress with the end in mind. You don't need to know all the steps to get there. But know where you want to get to. I want to be debt free. I want to have a six or seven figure business. I want to live in this country. I want to get flued out. See it. (laughs) (laughs) And then work it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Daniela, what is your number one financial tip? Money (laughs) Mm -hmm. for women starting businesses, running businesses. And I give more than one. (laughs) Yes. Bring it on. (laughs) So the first one is to track and track everything. I think a lot of the time we bury our head in the sand and we don't know what's going on with our finances and we get panicked over something that it may not even be a problem, but because we're not tracking what's going on, we don't know that it's not a problem. And also not only do we not know, we're not able to make our money work in a way that is going to be advantageous to our progression because we don't know what's going on. So I think what's really important is to track everything. And then number two, which I suppose is just a follow on from that, is to make your money work for you. So invest in things that are going to help bring more money forward. One of the things I say, particularly from a business perspective, is a lot of the time we want, and I'm going to use, somebody called me the other day and said this, and I'm going to use them as an example. They said, I want a champagne service for beer money. And I said, what I'm unfortunate. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) She said, I want a a champagne service for beer money. And I said, honey, I'm champagne money. I'm sorry, I can't help you with that one. And I think sometimes (laughs) in business, we penny pinch, we hold on to our money and we don't want to invest in the things that are going to enable us to make additional money. If you are looking for business support, And you're trying to spend beer money, then you're going to get beer results. Beer is cheap. You can get yes. beer for like four pounds. No, this is not beer money. If you want results, you have to invest. And we will invest in our hair and our nails and our shoes and our makeup and our handbags. But we don't want to invest in ourselves. We don't want to invest in our business. Mm. We don't want to invest in financial support. So I've recently invested in a financial advisor to help me with well, we've kind of done a contract arrangement, but that's a separate point. <laughs> but the point is, I'm not sitting here saying, well, I'm just going to work it out for myself. And I am I can do finance. Like I have an MBA. I did several modules on finance and actually got my highest grades in the finance modules. However, I'm not an expert. There's somebody else that they didn't do an MBA. They did a finance degree and they've done all of the accreditations, et cetera. Mm. So let me pay them. So we need to really, as women in business, And women in life invest in our own development, invest in the things that we need to help us progress. So it's not good enough to just save, save, save. We have to also invest. You should save. Saving is important. But we should also be investing. And it may be that you need to save in order to invest, but you're not going to know unless you track. So that goes back to point number one. Track where your money is going, where you can spend your money 
uh, more wisely where you can invest your money and set financial goals and targets. And I think that's really important as well, particularly if you want to do big purchases, buying a house, going on holiday, investing in business support. Yeah, you need to be able to kind of track and create a plan for saving and for investments. I definitely agree, you know, and sometimes investing in growth, you have to really think about the cost of your time, right? Just because you can do something, could your time be put to better use that will actually allow you to grow as opposed to causing you to be the the bottleneck Mm -hmm. limiting the growth of your business because you're trying to nickel and dime and do everything yourself when in actual fact you're wasting so much money and again i have been guilty there in the early stages of my business trying to be like cheap (laughs) Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they're wasting time when all i had to do was pay someone who had a better skill set than me (laughs) to get it done so that we could make more money and grow the business honestly this and you year, reflect on these things you're like <laughs> yeah what was i doing like why didn't i just pay for that and it's funny because thinking why did you yeah. kill yourself <laughs> it's the, the last the first six months of the year because it's june now right so it's six months in i've spent more money on my business than i've ever done before but i've also made more money you made more business. money it makes sense yes. so i've paid i've got a coach i pay for marketing support i pay for admin support so i have an assistant that supports me and as I said, May was a miracle May. I've spent. I love it. I've spent, but actually I've got that back multiple fold. Plus more. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Well, congratulations. And before I let you go, you have to tell everyone, what is your clever girl superpower? I was really thinking hard about this. <laughs> <laughs> what is my superpower? And I would say it's, and it sounds, it's going to sound really corny and I haven't yet worked out a way of saying this to make it not sound so corny, but helping people make their dreams come true and I think that's really what it is I help people identify what their kind of dream their vision is and there's something in the way I deliver there's something in the way I support there's something in the way I push people that helps them not only bring their dreams to reality but also exceed their own dreams of what they believe is possible for themselves and I would say that that's my my superpower that and being a bit psychic but I haven't won the lottery yet, so I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I know how to use that effectively. If it's just, it's just a byproduct. <laughs> so I'll go well, with. You, <laughs> well, you have to be a motivator to do what you do and help people build their businesses, grow their businesses. So that is right in line with <laughs> with who you are. Thank you so much for sharing, Daniela. I appreciate you being here. And I would love for you to tell everyone where they can find you, keep up with you, learn more about your business, your services, your products, mm-hmm. etc. You can visit my website, which is www.she'sthebossintl.com. And I have my brochure on there, which lists all of the services. You can see testimonials and case studies of the clients that I've worked with. And you can book an exploration course. If you're interested in working with me, we can have a 30 minute chat about how I can support you and your business. On social media, I spend probably the most time and more than I should on Instagram. And my handle is at she's the boss UK. I'm also on LinkedIn and that's my name, Daniela Genus. I'm on Twitter, but that's at She's the Boss INTF. And also, sorry, before I even forget, YouTube. I have my YouTube series, which is She's the Boss Female Entrepreneur Stories. If you just go to YouTube and go to She's the Boss, you should be able to find me. And I interview women in business. There's currently, I think, 92 interviews on there with women from all around the world and all at different stages of their business journey. So you can find me there too. And we'll be sure to put these links in the show notes. So thank you so much, Daniela. This has been so great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.